Hello, I'm Laura Scales, a dedicated arts facilitator, career counselor, and the CEO of Living Arts Detroit. Join us as we chat with both experienced and emerging artistic professionals who have ignited their creativity and shaped their careers to thrive while living in the arts. Today's interview is with Carly Forshi, a performer and dancer from Juarez, Mexico. She currently serves as Living Arts' inaugural resident teaching artist and has been teaching in each of our programs for well over a decade. We're going to learn about the experience of being seen, making life a little better, and paying attention to what's beyond the wanting. One takeaway I can offer you already, you have a lot of light, but you have to believe that. For more, stay tuned. Hello, welcome to the Living in the Arts podcast. How are you today, Garilu? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to get into our conversation and ask some questions that I don't know if I know all the answers up to these, even though we've had the pleasure of working together for a while here. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what your artistic practice is. Well, hi again. My name is Karilu Alarcon Forshi, and I'm a performing artist and teaching artist. I, my main craft is theater, but I love singing and I've been doing it for a while. And I think that all the work that I do as a professional artist is merged with all the work that I do as a teaching artist. Uh, a big part of my of my career has been built on working to support the learning of children. And I'm very interested in and intrigued on how to create community and how people connect to each other. So I'm hoping that the work that I do as an artist and as a teacher creates space for that to happen. Incredible. I have the pleasure of working with Kari Lu at Living Arts, where I am joining her uh, as you've been at Living Arts for, oh my goodness, is it 10 years? How long? 12. 12 years. This year, 12. Which is incredible. All right. So something that I love to do that you already know from being on staff is to ask everyone a good thing and a bad thing. So you can have two good things, but you can't have two bad things. So those are the rules that I made up and I can go first. Today was a a wild day in the sense that there were a bunch of moving parts, but it was kind of great to see everything come together at the end. Kind of like, you know, the mess before, the mess while you're reorganizing something and then all of a sudden it's all organized and clean and beautiful. So that is (laughs) my good thing. I don't really have a bad thing today, just uh, enjoying uh, the weather and excited about uh, the school year coming up. Nice, nice. The weather too, when I went out the door, it was just so nice. You know, it felt the breeze, you know, like the the wind. And also I had today the time to cook a meal and share it with my family, my husband and my daughter. So that was really nice. Incredible. All right, let's get Let's get into it a little bit. Can you tell me uh, a little bit about how you got into the arts and how your path has led to where you are now? All right. How much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) As much as you need. 
Um, okay, well, it's an interesting path. Uh, since I was very little, like many people probably have, or maybe they don't, you just assume that because you do it, other people do it, right? Yeah. Like, since I was like four or five, I would put up shows for my parents in the living room. And I said that I wanted to be a famous singer and a famous soap opera actress because that's what I saw over there, you know, in, yes. in Mexico. So I wanted to be there. And I would put these little shows. And that's just a big memory from early childhood. Then I went through a lot of changes in my life. And my parents were so busy all the time, so it was hard to, like, get into any artistic, you know, classes or anything until I was 11. I read that there was this, like, program and they had acting classes and singing classes and dancing classes and I'm calling and I set up all the information for my mom. So she just had to enroll me. But I gathered all of that together because I needed it. At the same time, I had gone through like three or four years of severe bullying, higher elementary and and middle school for being overweight. Sure. I was a very lonely child, you know, and especially when I went through that. And then magic happened. My mom did it. She took me and enrolled me in these classes and my life changed. Like that's how cheesy this sounds, but I'm telling you. I was given as a child a venue where I could see myself in a good light, you know, so I could see myself. I I had a purpose. I want to memorize my lines. I knew I had a showcase where I had to dance, you know, and um, I remember, you know, all of this as like life changing. My eating habits changed. I became more active. So the bullying decreased. Not because nobody was disciplining those kids. Yeah. <laughs> it was because, you know, my life just changed. I witnessed the power that the arts had in my life. And from that moment, from the first play I did was Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dream Code. I was one of the brothers. So we all had old girls wearing <laughs> these big mustaches. Incredible. <laughs> and from that day, yeah, <laughs> overalls. And I have pictures and I... From that day, you know, it gave me everything, a sense of belonging, belonging to a community, belonging to a group of people that like the same things, you know. I was hurt, seen, all the things that happen in theater and in, I want to say theater because my music and dance teachers were very conservative. So I still received like, you need to lose weight. Um, You have to sing and use, you know, all that, like the screaming and like, they were more strict. I experienced more strictness in um music and dance than I did in theater. Theater was always so welcoming. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least that, that's how it felt. Oh, um, for and sure. then I never stopped doing theater until I went to college. And um, as, as I grew up, I got more away from being a famous actress to, oh, directing sounds so cool, you know? And like, I got into um, focusing more on directing on my bachelor's. And then I wanted to like direct like more experimental theater. I gravitated a little away from musicals, which were my first love. (laughs) (laughs) So I kept doing the theater. I kept doing that. And then I started working with in a 
Well, back then, I don't think you, we use that name anymore. Orphanage um, in Juarez, oh, where I come sure. from. So it was like a sponsored. And then I started doing like experiences for kids. But that I was really young. So that was, didn't have any structure. You just went to do like some sort of artistic thing with them. And that was my first experience with kids. But I never thought any of that. I just thought it was very fulfilling, you know, and I thought I was doing yeah. something really good. And And then years went by and I moved to Michigan. Side note, I got married to a person from here. <laughs> so that's why. And everything changes again because obviously I'm, I came here trying to open doors for myself in, in the theater. But then very, very soon I, I entered into the world of the arts integrated. And I never thought I would like that. I never thought I'd be teaching ever in my life. But the first time that I did it, I loved it so much. And it gave me so much passion. You know, I felt so inspired and I'm going to do this and do that. Yeah. And opportunities just came to me from one organization and another. And that's been both both routes. I'm sorry for that. I try to make that really short. No, it was <laughs> perfect. It was absolutely perfect. So on your website and in our conversations that we have, I know that you're an interdisciplinary artist. And I'd love to hear a little bit more ways about how you explore these different mediums and how it has impacted your creative process? Are they like intermingled or do you try to separate them out as you're going through? They are intermingled, but you want to know something. When I moved to Michigan, just like the arts changed me when I was a teenager, I think when I moved here, it gave me permission to be, to be ah. an artist that had freedom. I actually left my singing behind me very young because I thought, oh, you have to be professionally trained or you have to do all of these things. And I always dropped out of my piano lessons and all that, you know, like I always loved writing poetry, but also I'm not professionally trained. You know, that thing echoed mm -hmm. me. And I'm, so theater is the thing. And when I came here and I met other artists and I just felt like really welcomed in terms of that, I'm like, I love singing and I love music. And I, why am I just moving away from it. And yeah. it is when I started doing theater here that I started mixing everything, especially when I came to terms with my identity here, because I think um, moving to Michigan gave me permission to be an artist fr freely, but also real made me realize that I was a foreigner at the same yeah. time, you know, and what I was leaving behind, which was my home, my family, all of that needed a place, needed a home. And the only way I could give it a home was through the arts. And music is a big part of my culture. So I had to, I started mixing music, poetry, and theater as my individual practice and still doing the other things too, you know, directing youth and, and acting in a theater company. So as you're expanding your practice in Michigan and as you're exploring these art forms that you love, um, I deeply resonate with the idea of not being trained. So can you speak a little bit more about that journey into the arts and coming with your perspective and how that has informed your practice going forward? So I mentioned before that moving to Michigan gave me freedom to be an artist, that I felt that like it was a shift in me but also I skipped through the hard part of like being a foreigner and going to auditions and not being cast in anything because I was Mexican it was clear I had an accent you know there was not a role for me 
And I saw, of course, all the other theater artists here had a lot of accolades, like you were saying. And I mean, I had my degree, but I didn't have the master's. I didn't have the PhD or, you know, the training in in Europe that they had that summer, you know, or like things like that. So, yeah, it was it was frustrating at first because there were even plays. Uh, white actress got the role and it was for a Latina. And that day I was like... Okay, it seems like this is not going to go very well. So I was very thankful to get cast in a play. It was a very experimental play and they wanted a diverse cast, you know. So, yeah, I fit with all the things. And I met a lot of people there and I started seeing how other people did things and how they were like, well, we're not going to do boy check like Wojciech, we're going to do our Wojciech. And their Wojciech was in a basement, you know, the the, the audience had to walk and like see scene by scene. So it just opened my world, you know, of like how other people did different things to get out of the norm or the tradition or like how the system works um, and how limiting it is for people that don't fit that model of how you're supposed to be. Yeah. Is there anything that you would have told your, that you would tell your past self as you look back on these experiences that you were going through with all the auditioning? You have a lot of light, but you have to believe that. (laughs) Because there was a lot of, of course, insecurities, you know, especially back then and putting like a gateway to what we were talking about. I realized that I was not going to fit these roles. Mm-hmm. But I also needed to find how to embrace myself so I could find that light word I just mentioned. I think your body and just the universe moves you there because I think it's really interesting that I started to be completely attracted to my culture in a way that I hadn't before. History, music, anything, you, you name it. And then I'm like, these are characters that really move me. You know, when I think of female characters in Mexico or in Latin America, and I started digging in, and then I was invited to do this show that it was all about women, women, unsung women. And it was also experimental in the way that it was original, you know, and like, and I was able to pick which character I wanted to play. So I chose a woman from Latin America, Chabela Vargas, and that show just, I sang because she was a singer, you know, and like, um, so... The people, the audience cried when they saw my performance and I did it in Spanish and they had like all other actresses were translating as I was speaking. And then I realized, well, I went to a deeper place as an actress when I'm doing these roles and people are feeling things. So maybe I should go this way because (laughs) this is telling me something. And I started just taking risks and yeah, well, this is who I am and this is what I'm doing and like art that I can connect to instead of trying to, to find a spot or make yourself a little place, you know, a little room to fit. I love that. I, that idea of uh, building a new table, right? If they don't offer you a seat at the table, bring a chair. If there's not enough room, build a new table. The theater entertainment acting industry, if you will, is definitely an interesting one to navigate if you do not fit um, the traditional model of what they are looking for. And I I remember being... <laughs> 
cast in plays in college, even though I was a stage management major and not there to perform, did not want to perform. But they're like, oh, we just need one more Black person. And I'm like, I, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I guess I'll go on for this. Se- I played Harriet Tubman in a show. It was wild. But for no other reason than they were like, oh, you over here. So I've had a lot of interest in watching the theater industry finally shift and finally start changing. So how did you know you were in this industry for the long haul? Ever since I stood on a stage for the first time doing that Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, I remember the moment I had goosebumps and I was so happy. I was 11 and I said, I want to do this all the time. This is what I want to do. When Those nerves before you actually start, like the curtains open. Yeah. And I knew and I might have been very insecure throughout my younger years, but I also have been very perseverant and stubborn. <laughs> so yes. I never left it, yes. you know. Which I which I love. I also did Joseph when I was about eleven years old, and it was it, it was transforming. Like I was like, oh my gosh, you could do this for a living. Can you tell me about the ways that you use those feelings to encourage and help young people who think that they might want to go into the arts as a teaching artist? Now that you're you know on the other side of the the table, if you will. Yeah, well, now that you know all my story, I think it makes total sense. (laughs) Because it it did that to me, you know, so I know it firsthand. And I I also, um, I know the transformation and the power it has and what it can build. So I didn't come here knowing that to Michigan and I didn't. But as soon as I had that first encounter with a group of children and my craft was what was my tool, I was like, oh, you can do all of those things. And I thought about those teachers that I had early on, you know, very different format, of course, because that was an after school program. And first I, I did a lot of arts integration. So but yeah, I mean, I also think that a particular community that I've been serving, I work with all the communities in the Metro Detroit area, but when I started working also in Southwest Detroit was in the bilingual settings where children sometimes couldn't speak English, you know, and we shared a story, we shared a background. It became something that I was very passionate about because I myself went through a little of that in third grade. We had to move to the U.S., for two years and I didn't speak English and I know what it feels like. And I knew a lot of feelings get just overseen, like the grief that the kids go through when they first move away from their homes. So to think that this work can make it just a little better, you know, we're not going to change maybe the world, but we are making that life a little better. For that moment, they'll feel seen. Or maybe sometimes if you're very lucky, you'll give them something they feel so passionate about and then they have a purpose and then they have life, you know? Uh, That's incredible. I know I want to let our listeners know as well that you work with all the way from our youngest three months old and their caregivers all the way through 18 years of age. And that you really touch the lives of not only the, the children, but their parents as well. So 
I just think it's incredible that you're able to bring that experience of being seen, finding your moment, even if it is fleeting or if it's, you know, lifelong. But it's it's wonderful to have to have you come out there. Tell me about your process as a teaching artist. Is there any advice that you would have for young people who are looking to further explore teaching artistry or further explore just different theatrical practices, whether it's experimental or musical or anything like that? Well, I think pursuing teaching or teaching any type of art, you have to have a, a love for it. You know, I think that's the only way it works. Like you have you have to enjoy it. Like if you don't enjoy it, it's going to be hard. You, you must enjoy working with children. But also in my experience, when you were saying oh, all of these things that we can do working with so many children, I just wanted to add also how they have impacted my life and how the parents have impacted my life because I found a home, you know, in the kids that I work with. And I always say that because it's so true. It's like, it's like a two-way thing. You know, we're doing this thing that's, it's making community, it's making all of these wonderful things that, that are beneficial for everyone involved. And that's what the arts do. So definitely if they have a a passion also for like working with teaching, you know, passing on knowledge and art. Of course, it's something that I think all artists should at least try it. And then you decide if you don't, don't like to go there. Which is beautiful. Can you tell me, is there a piece of work um, or a show that you're particularly proud of and what you learned from the process of doing it? A couple come to mind, but like, I'm going to point to my individual work. There are two. As an individual artist, I would say there's this piece that I did that was called La Mujer, The Woman. And uh, I worked with music from Latin America, this song that is like 10 minute long song. And it just talks about all the duties and all the work that women do. And it's a re repetition. So then I paired that with um, some experimental movement and poetry. It was probably the first time that I did something that... I was not working on a script somebody gave me. You know, I put everything together. I devised it. And the response from people, I think, especially women, was very cathartic, you know, and I think it created a lot of, like, community when this happened. It's been a while from that show, probably with the pandemic and everything, probably <laughs> five years, I want to say. And it's a short piece, but I was very happy to be able to integrate that because I had the Spanish there. I also had some poetry in English and also, you know, all of these theater that I think helped a lot with translation. And I don't know, I think there's some magic, some magic to like listening to something in a language you cannot understand and feeling something about it. Even if you cannot understand and people exactly. just like, oh my God. And like, <laughs> and isn't that what the arts do? You know, like we're connecting in, in this way. And um, that's me as a performing artist. That show was La Mujer. And uh, recently I directed a show with teens um, and the show was an original show. They wrote it and they performed it, um, which we titled Mucho Gusto, Nice to Meet You. 
and it was about Latin American trailblazers from the past, the present, and the present. And all the kids from from the Latin American culture, they were all Latin Latines, and they got to play um, these trailblazers. They got to play these roles, and also write about themselves and share with the audience some of their stories and their experience. So it was a really beautiful show, I think. And to see them growing that way, the youth, it was an amazing thing. And that was La Carpa, right? Yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about what inspired you to start that theater company? Well, everything it's intertwined at La Carpa Theater was a consequence of my work as a teaching artist because I I felt like there was need for more, that just a short-term residencies was not enough for these kids, that they needed um, a space to have a voice, to nurture their cultures, their history, to teach them about it, a space where they could access it and in an artistic way. So then I went through all the grant applications with this idea of doing this, this show in the style of the Mexican carpas, which were mobile outdoor theaters, that they would just pop up and they had a show for you. They were making theater accessible because back then it was only the operas, the fancy theaters, and American movies, which had subtitles, but everyone who couldn't read they couldn't understand these movies. So going to the shows in Las Carpas gave them access. So I thought it was nice to bring this style as a way of the kids also learning about this style that was so popular in, in the early 1900s in Mexico and all over Latin America, really. And then also giving them the opportunity to learn about great people that have done great things that look like them, that share a lot of things with them, maybe the place where they were born, maybe the same story with their family situation or family dysfunction or like, you know, but just knowing and, and letting them reflect and learn about it. So so that's how La Carpa was born. The city is still talking about it. It was it was incredible. It was incredible to to witness. And I know the students are still talking in the community and just beautiful work. Um do you think you'll do it again? Do you think it'll resurrect? You don't have to. I yes. won't commit you to that. <laughs> yes, yes, we are in talks right now to, to on how to how to bring it back. Um, maybe the structure will be different, but also for you know to support the learning and the and the experience yeah. of the of the arts, but through this also cultural element of learning yeah. of your own story and your history. Well, if we at Living Arts can be of help, I'm glad to hear that that'll continue. I love, as a artsy kid who just lived for for the arts um, in any way that I can get it, I always love when the students are able to take their own ownership and write something or, you know, or put together the costume they're wearing or anything like that. That just has a special place in my heart as well. <laughs> so next question. What media are you consuming now that's exciting or maybe inspiring to you? That could be a book or music or a movie. Not to be a little dark, but recently oh, okay. I have I have been reading poetry 
from a local writer from my hometown in Juarez, Mexico, Karen Cano. And she writes about the violence women experience in Mexico and the and how the cases go unsolved, you know, those injustices. And because I'm putting together another show that's not going to be with youth, yeah. I want to use some of her poetry. And I've also been reading those books and listening to a podcast called The Women of Juarez. And maybe you're familiar with the Pink Crosses yeah. and what happened back in the... 2000, late 90s. Late, 90s, yeah. Um, 90s, yeah. Um, so this is a topic that it's close to my heart because I lived through it. And yeah, I've been trying to do research for this new piece that I'm that I'm working on. So yeah, that's what I've been consuming. So yeah, not to be dark or anything. It's really sad no. stuff, but it's important. It's important. And I think that another Thing that the arts do is bringing light and awareness to important things and that it can't always be you know sunshine and <laughs> and happy but to use the platform to expand and to let people know but keep us posted I'm excited to to see I'll be sure to bring Kleenex and and a and a friend but it sounds incredible I remember those pink crosses and not knowing what they were and then learning what they were. And then it was like, oh, okay. All right. I have another question. What advice would you give to young people who are looking to go into theater, who also might be performing in the living room and putting on plays? And what advice would you give to their parents who might be a little worried about what their child wanting to be an artist when they grow up? Well, to the children and the youth, I would say to pay attention to the intention behind the wanting and to what gives them joy. Because when I look back at that little girl, me as a little girl, mm -hmm. I think that it gave me tremendous joy to do it. That's why it transformed, because I wanted to be a famous actress, a famous singer, because that's what we saw on TV, right? Um, and then that's why I think the hardships of this career weren't disappointing because of also how much it fed my, my, my brain, you know, my, my creativity, my, the life it gives me. But I think if, if I was doing this for other reasons, I think... Maybe it's not the way, you know what I mean? That's why I think you should listen to whatever gives you joy. I know the schools don't teach that, but what is that activity? If making art gives you joy, yes, keep going. You know, that's because you'll find a way. And for the parents, well, this is my personal opinion, but we are just observers and we have to take care of these children that are our children. You know, we have to guide them. But at the end, we have to embrace whatever's there. So whatever light they bring, whatever talent they bring, um, we're there as a witness, as a companion uh, when they're in their hardships. And maybe they choose a wrong career and we will be there next to them when they fail and we'll give them a hug. And they have to, these are things they have to do on their own. Because I do encounter a lot of parents of my kids that were like, no, you can't do anything artistic in college because you 
you will die of like, you know, hunger, you know, or things like that. Yeah. <laughs> but then the kid is not in college, not even in the thing. So then the mom yeah. was like, the mom was like, oh my God, I think I, I did a wrong thing because I said this. And I'm like, you did. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. it's just like, you know, if, if that's like what motivated him to go to college, you know, doing these things that makes him feel passionate. Right. Um, so yeah, to watch out for that. Unfortunately, that's all we can do as parents. But, but as youth, I think schools everywhere else, they need to train more on listening to our own voice, you know, our yes. own, what the body says, what we really want to do. That's why we don't know. And we're all confused, like sometimes, right? Because uh-huh. we cannot, that voice has been quieted by the systems, by the schools, by everything. So I a hundred percent. And I know the agree. I agree with you a hundred percent. A lot of the impetus on starting this podcast was to talk about finding your path into the arts and how that can look a bunch of different ways. And that that doesn't need to look like that cookie cutter way that, you know, we're taught or, you know, going to college for the, for the right reasons. And, you know, or, you know, not going to the best school, going to the school that's best for you uh, and the major that's best for you. So incredible words of wisdom just all around. I have one more question for you. And this is a question, our community question. What advice would you give to young people thinking about creating their own nonprofit organizations? That comes from Jason. Okay, so if they want to, what advice do they want to create their own nonprofit? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Okay, it's going to be hard. I, I I keep bringing up the word joy, but you need to know what you enjoy. And I think if you want to try it and then you learn, you will learn through the process what you want to do and what you don't want to do and what you like and what you don't like and what you're good at and what you're not because we're all, we all have these sides of ourselves where we are best at and we can be good at everything. And I think through these experiences is how we learn how to benefit more our passion or like our dream nonprofit, for example, or our big project. But if you want to try it, it's really hard. And then maybe if you were to make some mistakes, then maybe you know that you don't want to have a nonprofit. Maybe you want to work in a nonprofit doing the, a particular thing rather than, than being the, the head of it. I think that's great. I had a, a mentor a very long time ago when I was looking at theater, I was, you know, looking at theater and wanted to get back to Michigan. And there wasn't a lot of theater work happening for stage managers. Cause you know, there's only one or two of those uh, per show and there might be, you know, 15 actors, but those, those shows were much, much smaller in terms of getting a slot. Uh, and I had a former mentor who I went to and he told me if I wanted to start a theater company, then I would need a hundred thousand dollars in cash. And I said, wait, what? And he says, and then you can give it to me. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, that's what it feels like to start a theater company. And I was like, this is, a, he was like, you have to raise a bunch of money and then you raise the bunch of money and you give it away. And then you don't know if you're going to get back. And I was like, this is a very strange statement, but it stayed with me because he was explaining how hard it was, how really fulfilling it was, but how hard. 
Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of your experience. Thank you. Thank you. This was great. Amazing. All right. Until next time. Living in the Arts is hosted by Laura Scales with original music and editing by Jason Duran. It's produced by Claire Howe and our podcast coordinator is Colin Shy. Living in the Arts is made possible in part by the MGM Resort Foundation and by donors like you. For more information about anything our guest mentioned, be sure to check out the show notes. To learn more and support Living in the Arts, please visit livingartsdetroit.org. Thank you so much for joining us and so much for listening. 